0: Well, Roxy, it is finally summer here in New York City, and I know that because the streets are annoyingly filled with tourists.
1: Yep. A line around the block at every ice cream shop.
0: Where did you typically go for summer vacation when you were growing up?
1: We mostly did a lot of camping, hiking, fishing, sleeping outside under the stars, but we also uh, visited my dad's family in Las Vegas
0: las vegas nice where did you guys go on vacation growing up my family always took two vacations in july we would often go down to the beach probably somewhere in florida and then in june we would always go to the annual meeting of the southern baptist convention
1: that's no las vegas
0: no it is not but i can tell you it had almost as many buffet dinners
1: from Religion News Service, this is Safe by the City. I'm Roxy Stone, and this week we have a special guest host filling in for Caitlin Beatty.
0: That's right. I'm Jonathan Merritt. I'm a contributing editor at Religion News Service, and I happen to be Roxy's longtime best friend. Yes, the bestie fest. Sorry, Caitlin. <laughs>
1: bestie competition.
0: Hi, this is Ebu Patel.
2: 20 years ago, I founded an organization called Interfaith Youth Corps, dedicated to working with young people from different religious and spiritual backgrounds to build a country that is welcoming to all. This year, we are changing our name to Interfaith America with an expanded mission and vision, but with the same goal of making religion a bridge of cooperation rather than a barrier of division. You can learn how in my book, We Need to Build, Field Notes for Diverse Democracy, and by visiting www.interfaithamerica.org. Looking forward to working alongside you as we build Interfaith America together.
1: We are one week away from this year's Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting being hosted in Anaheim, home of Disneyland. So let me ask you, Jonathan, if you and your family was going this year, would you also tack on a Disneyland trip to make it more like a real vacation?
0: Well, yes. The answer is yes. If we went this year, we would. We love a good amusement park. But we wouldn't have if you were talking about the meetings that fell between 1997 and 2005. Because during those years, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, was actually boycotting Disney. (gasps) Okay. Remind me why they did that. I do vaguely remember this, but what was the reason? Because Disney was getting too gay, you know? So things were not too different from now. This is something that's been happening for a long time. So back in the late 90s, uh, it was the SBC that was boycotting Disney, which is to say it was the first time in the history of the denomination that Southern Baptists were actually ahead of their time. (laughs)
1: Disneyland actually is a fun place to go as a kid. Happiest place on earth, in fact. And the Southern Baptist Convention does not really seem like a playground for little children. So I question why your parents brought you there. But what was it like for you as a little kid just scampering (laughs) around the convention
0: halls? You know, I always tell people that the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention is like a cross between a family reunion, a trade show, and a business meeting. So okay. part of the Southern Baptist convention is just like pastors spouses meeting up with their old friends from seminary or the people who they, they, they served on church staffs with. And there are lots of dinners, usually at fancy restaurants, usually paid for by church expense accounts with church credit cards. And kids like me, who uh, are gifted with this wonderful opportunity of being at the SBC, <laughs> we always spend a lot of time in the exhibit hall. Now, the exhibit hall is where it's kind of like a a, a kind of a big open area where Baptist colleges will give out pens and tchotchkes and Lifeway will sell books and pastors, kids like me play hide and seek when we get bored. Vegas is sounding better and better. (laughs) You're not wrong about that. But uh, at the SBC, the center of the action is the convention hall. And so that's sort of where the business meeting part of the equation takes place. It's where you're going to find the messengers most of the time.
1: Messengers. Messengers? What are messengers? This sounds very whimsical, like Harry Potter or something.
0: It actually is not a lot different from Harry Potter. Like, depending on which seminary you went to, there's kind of like little clubs and coalitions. So, you've got like Gryffindor is like Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Hufflepuff is like Southwestern. <laughs> it actually does kind of break down this way. They have their own crests and their own traditions and their own um, folklore. But okay, c- crests? They have crests.
1: Crests, crests?
0: They do. They all have their own little like crests, their colors, their. <laughs> wow. It's, it's interesting. I mean, there's no Quidditch. Oh. That's the big differentiator. But
1: there's SEC football.
0: Listen, you can't have the SBC without the SEC. <laughs> but to answer your question, Messengers is is just the name that we give the official representatives from a Southern Baptist church, they go, they get ballots, they can vote, they can participate. And the convention hall is where all of that happens, where they vote on resolutions and motions. I am literally falling asleep as you speak about this. Okay. Uh, well, imagine what it was like <laughs> for me as a
1: child. Do you have
0: any good memories, like some potent memories? I have good memories. Mm-hmm. I have lots of potent memories, but I have some good memories as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you you know, my dad was elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention in 2000 in Orlando, Florida. Fancy. It happened. And then in 2001 in New Orleans, he was reelected. But I have to say, you know, as I look back over decades of of going to to the Southern Baptist Convention, I think last year, in my mind at least, stands out as one of the most memorable.
1: Well, I remember last year too, because I was working at Religion News Service and we were covering it. And so was every other newspaper in the country. It seems like it was in Nashville. That's true. And it was sort of, I I feel like looking back, it was, it was almost this proxy for like a wider culture yep. war that was happening in the wake of January 6th and um, Biden's election and stop the steal and the pandemic and mask wearing and all this, all these conversations that were happening nationally um, that seems very divisive. It's like they were all coming to a head at the Southern Baptist conventions meeting, including like critical race theory. There was a whole thing about critical race theory happening. Um, And like literally like, the New York Times and the Washington Post and, like, NPR, they're all, like, waiting, like, fingernail-biting about which presidential candidate was going to win last year at the SBC because it felt like they, it could just, like, go off the rails, you know? Yeah, it was yeah, so right. crazy.
0: Well, you know, uh, you actually bring up a really great point, and the SBC has kind of always been that. The sort of the newly resurgent conservative version of the SBC completely aligns with the rise of the religious right. Mm-hmm. And if you think about a sort of red state America the SBC is kind of like the white hot center of that. And so you're, you're going to find that the SBC does often feel like a little bit of a microcosm mm-hmm. of what's happening on the right flank of American culture. And so that's why, like, there was all of this conversation about critical uh, race theory. And there were a lot of people who wanted to pass this resolution condemning Critical race theory is mm-hmm. anti-gospel and corrupting our children. And uh, my dad at the time was serving. He saved the day. Well, you know. My dad saved the day. <laughs> it depends on who you talk to. He was chairman of the resolutions committee. That's the group that decides which resolutions get to the floor mm-hmm. for a vote and which ones don't. So he was kind of somebody that a lot of people were watching last year.
1: And the other big issue besides critical race theory was sex abuse, investigating yep. what
0: had happened
1: within the denomination around what seemed like decades of sex abuse allegations and evidence and concerns about cover-ups.
0: Yeah, you know, if the SBC is kind of the white-hot center of red state America, then at the white-hot center of the Southern Baptist Convention is a rumor mill. (laughs) And so there's always rumors that are flying and gossip Mm. and Southern Baptist gossip is something to behold. But in the midst of that kind of rumor mill for years and years and years, it had been floating around that allegations of sexual abuse had been mishandled by denominational leaders. There were people who were talking about that. They were tweeting about that. They were sharing their stories on blogs. And there were many people in the SBC who had been listening to this rumor mill. And so there was kind of a groundswell. There was a movement of people saying, you know what, maybe we should have a formal investigation into this. But There were a lot of people who said, no, that's a bad idea. It's going to just, you know, like drag up a bunch of drama. It could make us look bad. It's risky. There are legal issues. And so there were a lot of questions as to whether or not that would make it to the floor and whether people would actually vote for it and say, yes, we need to know exactly what happened here.
1: And they did vote for it and they did say yes. And that is its own very interesting story. And if you want to know more about that, little plug here. Go read a story by RNS reporter Bob Smintana about how the SBC investigation against sex abuse almost didn't happen, which is to say it was almost killed many, many times by those who probably had good reason to want it be killed. But uh, a few weeks ago, the findings of that investigation were released to the public and
0: they were, what you might
1: say, explosive?
0: It was a huge story. I mean, I think... It has to be the biggest story in religion writing for the year so far. I mean, it's a huge religion mm-hmm. story. You know, the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant denomination in America by right. far. It's struggling, it's shrinking, but it still is huge. 14 million members. We've had the Roman Catholic sex abuse scandal People had been wondering whether this was really just like a Catholic thing or whether actually this this same impulse, the same problem or set of issues had in some way infected Protestants as well. And then a
1: few years ago, I think it was in 2017, the Houston Chronicle pretty much confirmed that, yes, Protestantism was having just as many sex abuse problems. They released a sweeping report about pastors, youth leaders, ministers, all of these people who had been associated with the Southern Baptist Convention that had been credibly accused of, arrested, or, you know, convicted of uh, sexual abuse in some way. And this report really chronicled how these men had been able to sort of oftentimes continue to exist as leaders within the Southern Baptist denomination. They could go to other churches because there really was no way to like track um, across churches. And so uh, that was, that really began the questions about like what is going on in terms of sex abuse within the SBC. And we've seen since then just heroic efforts on the part of sex abuse survivors to really push the SBC to investigate this, reckon with it, and try to repair the damage that's been done and set up a system that does not perpetuate this anymore.
0: That report, I think, showed 700 victims, which is just kind of a a shocking, staggering number. We're talking about child molesters. We're talking about people who were breaking the law. And as you said, I think this is where the real... The, there feels to be to, to many people like a parallel to the Roman Catholic uh, sex abuse scandal, is that we there were all these stories of these predatory pastors who were allowed to quietly remain in ministry Mm -hmm. positions with access to other potential victims, including children, over and over, passing from church to church. And the reason that that was uh, allowed to happen is because these leaders were turning a blind eye to that. And I think you're finding right now in the SBC shock, disgust, anger because of the things that they've been reading.
1: Right. And the report, this, you know, almost 300 page report that's just come out, really confirmed in a lot of ways what everybody suspected, but also was somehow even more surprising and shocking and worse than I think anyone expected. I don't know about you, but that that was how I felt like I I was expecting it to be bad. And then it was worse than I thought it was going to be. Yep. Was there anything that like really stood out or surprised you in the report?
0: You know, one of the, one of the leaders uh, of the SBC, actually an, an attorney, uh, a guy named Agi Boto, was on record saying that this focus on sex abuse was satanic, that this was a tool of the devil to distract Southern Baptists from their real mission of evangelism. Right. That was a shock. I think it was a shock that they the leaders had been saying, no, we can't track this, but they had been tracking that it secretly me. while they were lying and saying... They were like was, secretly like,
1: keeping what? a list that they said they wouldn't, yep. that they couldn't
0: do. Yeah, exactly. And then I think one of the biggest bombshells above all is the story of a former Southern Baptist Convention president, a Georgia pastor named Johnny Hunt. Mm -hmm. In the report, it said that he had been credibly accused of sexual assault Mm -hmm. of a woman. Which he's denied. Yeah, and he's he's denied that it was Mm non-consensual. You know, he hasn't denied that he had a, a relationship with a woman who was not his wife, that it was sexual in nature, and that lines were crossed, and that this person, by the way... He had pastoral authority right. uh, over this person. And she's quite a bit younger. I don't understand. I'm like, how is that not abuse? Uh, you know, the 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 people who interviewed him said they found her credible, and they found him not credible. Mm. There were a lot of denials on his part that he's backtracked on, and it's just you know somebody of this level, this this level of leadership, this level of notoriety, um, being sort of slapped with something that's so shocking as you know sexual abuse, sexual assault. uh, That left a lot of people's jaws on the floor.
1: Yeah, I mean, and in addition to, you know, these findings, the firm that did the investigation has also issued a series of recommendations and suggestions for how to respond to make changes to fix some of these problems and these toxic patterns, which is really going into this next annual convention next week. This is going to be part of what makes the next annual convention such a big deal, is the groups are really going to be considering and voting on these things. And people are torn on whether or not to make these changes.
0: Yeah, there are some people who absolutely oppose it. And not they don't oppose it because, you know, they, they don't say, we don't think women should be protected. They say... We don't think that the way the Southern Baptist Convention is structured, that they have the authority to do these things. Mm -hmm. And so there are real questions Mm -hmm. uh, about that. And it's going to be quite an interesting year, as it always always is. is. But it will be an especially interesting year this year. So today, we are going to be speaking with Benjamin Cole.
2: I never cease to be amazed at the degree to which Southern
0: Baptists can quickly absolve themselves of their own moral and ethical culpability and wrongdoing. Benjamin Cole is a Southern Baptist insider. He's somebody who really knows the inner workings of the denomination. He's plugged in. He's going to help us understand what's at stake this year in Anaheim, and he'll be with us just after the break.
1: Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and
0: ethics. For the best in global religion reporting, visit religionnews.com.
1: And if you like what we're doing at Saved by the City, let us know. Leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It goes a long way toward helping get the word out about the show.
0: You can also email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. We'd love to hear from you. Well, our guest today is probably the most influential Southern Baptist leader that you've never heard of. His name is Benjamin Cole. He's the founder of a consulting firm called Longview Strategies. But more importantly, he is somebody who has the ear of the denomination's top leaders. When people in the Southern Baptist Convention want to know how to respond in crisis, what to say, and how to say it, they call Ben. And on Twitter, he is at the Baptist Blogger, where he has quite a lively feed. And if you're interested in these sort of things, I suggest that you follow him there.
1: Ben's been involved in some of the biggest decisions in the SBC over the last decade, whether you know it or not.
0: Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks so much for, for being on. Sure. Thanks, Jonathan.
1: Hey Ben, thanks.
2: Roxy, great to see you.
0: I want to kick this off. You have your finger on the pulse of the SBC. Is there a pulse in the SBC? <laughs> That's really kind of the question right now. It is a
1: question (laughs) right now. (laughs)
0: It is a question. Is there a pulse? You know, I guess one thing that we're, we're wondering, and I know a lot of listeners will be wondering, is why does this matter? This is this huge thing that's come out and it's been splashy, but why does it matter for the SBC, for the American religious landscape? Why is this so important?
2: Well, first and foremost, I think that this is important for survivors of abuse because somebody's finally paying attention to what's happened to them. And whether or not it's important to another living soul, I think that in itself is, is sufficient importance. It's important sort of within the Southern Baptist Convention because it, it is a reckoning of sorts within the convention that this 47,000 church, 14.5 million person evangelical denomination in the United States has been forced into uh, this kind of audit of its past actions, not by leaders who were elected. It happened from the grassroots. The people of the churches who pay the bills forced the convention to account. Mm -hmm. Last year in Nashville, Uh, overwhelming number of 15,000 delegates or messengers to the convention said, no, we're not going to allow the platform leaders to sort of uh, manage and control the investigation into what has happened. You cannot put the foxes in charge of the hen house and ask them to count the eggs. So there's a lot of interest at varying levels.
1: You talked about just how powerful it was last year that the people really rose up and said, nope. None of this anymore. We are going to make sure that something happens. And it did. And now we have this really damning report that the SBC has to reckon with. What can we expect from the convention next week when it comes to addressing the recommendations, the suggestions that have come out of this report?
2: So asking anybody, what can you expect at the Southern Baptist Convention is a crapshoot. You can expect that the unexpected will happen. Uh, you can expect that, that there's going to be some impassioned speeches from the floor and the platform. There's a major and hotly contested election for mm-hmm. president, much of which hinges on how the convention is going to how it address this going forward. Uh, I anticipate that there'll be a major confrontation that'll happen during the first report of the Resolutions Committee. The chairman of the Resolutions Committee is Dr. Bart Barber of Texas, uh, he will be bringing that report.
1: He's also running for president.
2: He's also running for president. So he's going to have, you know, 30 minutes of time in front of the messengers almost to audition for the job. Mm-hmm. And the messengers will get a chance to see the man who is, who is aspiring to be president of the convention, how he performs and comports himself during a deliberative process in what usually is a very contentious moment, the report of the resolutions committee. I, I would not— i uh, be surprised if the other candidate, major candidate for, for convention presidency, gets a microphone from the floor during that resolutions committee report.
0: Mm-hmm. There's this guy, Tom Askell, who some of our listeners may or may not know about. And so he's running for president. He's very very conservative. Everybody in SBC life is conservative, but he's very very conservative and is warm with, cozy with this splinter group, the Conservative Baptist Network. And I'd like to ask you this question because Tom and a lot of that far right wing of the SBC opposed this focus on sex abuse. They opposed the aggressiveness with which this investigation was done. I mean, did did they have egg on their face now? How does a person like that Sort of show up and and not feel defeated. I,
2: I never cease to be amazed at the degree to which Southern Baptists can quickly absolve themselves of their own moral and ethical culpability and wrongdoing. <laughs> Give it to Jesus; it's under the blood. Go on and forget it; never consider it again. <laughs> and I, I think that Southern Baptists are are they're sort of afflicted with that sort of evangelical myopia. The damning thing about this report is uh, it's a big giant mirror that's been held up. And we're all getting to see not just what the other guy has done, but the degree to which mm-hmm. anyone who's been a participating cooperating Southern Baptist has been willing to just not ask questions. That's how we got here. But but yes. given that reality, how are we going to deal with the accusations that come out of this report in a biblically faithful way? I think that is what every Everyone on all sides is trying to answer, not just not just Tom Askell, who's saying, you know, we need Bible verses to to substantiate whatever actions we take. And that that may be a little dismissive of the position he's taking.
0: But there is a real struggle here to deal with this matter justly. I want to ask you, why would anybody oppose taking action on these sorts of things. Could you give us sort of the best distillation of that, something that the other side would agree and say, yeah, that's what we believe. That's right. why we oppose these things. Well, sure. No, that's a great question. And and I, I assure you that what I'm about to say, there's a group of people
2: that would absolutely disagree with what I'm saying. And the ones that would disagree the loudest are probably the guiltiest. There is, there is this mentality, Jonathan, you know it. You've grown up in this world of we must protect the the myth of the conservative resurgence at all costs. There's such a fear of saying we would ever do anything that proved the liberals right. So there is a group that is going to oppose this simply because it points the fingers at some of the biggest heroes of the conservative movement in the SBC. And they very foolishly, and I think Ed Stetzer was one of the one, first ones to sort of say this out loud and publicly, he said, you know, we've got to take these men off the pedestals. Um, that our religion has become cultic in the, insofar as we have begun worshiping heroes. So there is a group that, that is going to oppose this just simply because it, it simply cannot be true, right? It cannot be true. These are godly men who believe the Bible. Uh, and so these accusations must not be true. You'll hear that. Uh, that's, uh, that's the far fringe. Uh, and those people are always going to be present, and they're always going to be loud in the terms of a, of a democratic organization like the SBC. I think that there's going to be people that oppose the reforms, and they're going to use various arguments. To call, it's too much. We're going to take money away from missionaries, all of which is a very specious argument for anybody that's been paying attention to how Southern Baptist leaders have spent money for the last 30 years. It just starts scratching below the surface, and you'll see incredible waste of church donations that have happened. I mean, just this, just this week, I read a letter of one Southern Baptist seminary president who's spending upwards of $2 million to remodel his own home. Like, that's one-tenth of what the SBC is even talking about in terms of a three-year financial commitment. Uh, the The convention hasn't been watching its own house when it comes to spending for a long time. But all of a sudden now, when we're going to address sex abuse, we better start, you know, call the accountants in and, and let's start breaking out the abacus, right? And but, but they really weren't concerned about how money's been spent. Bec- why? Because these were the men that saved the Bible. These were the men that that saved the, saved the convention. And I've even talked to some religious leaders, former convention presidents who've said as much to me uh, on the record for the book I'm working on. Look, we just looked the other way for a long time because these are the guys that saved the Bible. They saved the convention. So there's those people that are involved.
0: And then, you know, there's, uh, there's, you're, you're chomping around on something. I'd love to just get you to kind of, Hit right between the eyes is is this idea of the conservative resurgence and the role that that plays in this, because a lot of if people don 't know that sort of is the 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 phrase that 's used to describe this this fundamentalist uprising that happens beginning in the 1970s where moderates are sort of removed from the denomination, and these very conservative leaders who believed in a lot of things, but one of them being that you know, men and women have different roles and that, you know, that the the role of wife and mother are sort of paramount roles for women, that wives should be submissive to, to their husbands. I mean, a lot of those leaders, as you've mentioned, and you've been at the heart of a lot of this, the Paige Pattersons and the Paul Presslers, and a lot of these guys have started to fall like like dominoes, and so how are these things connected? I, I think about Diana Butler Bass, who says she calls this sort of the success story. What we're seeing now is a success story. It's it's it shows that that the conservative resurgence was really successful in sort of making these powerful men ascendant. Uh, how do you how do you shake all that out in your mind? I mean, what is the what is what does this mean in terms of the history? Uh, of the conservative research.
2: It's a great question and look anybody anybody who cares about truth has to be asking that question. If you're inside the SBC, if you care at all about truth, then then that question ought to be haunting us all. Basically, the conservative movement in the SBC is dangerously close to committing the crimes of Animal Farm. The pigs convince all the animals of the farm that the farmers need to be thrown out of the farmhouse. And as you get to the end of Animal Farm, there's this haunting uh, line in the closing chapter. It's slowly but surely the pigs took over the farm from all the other animals, and they rose up, and they eventually lived in the house, and they were eating at the table, and they they were behaving like the oppressive farmers that they themselves had thrown out. And this haunting line says all the animals that helped the pigs rise were on the front steps in the porch of the farmhouse, and they were looking inside the windows, and the line says, the animals looked from pig to man, and from man to pig again, but it was already too late to tell the difference. And I, and I think some of what's happening right now is all the chickens and, 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 and donkeys and geese and goats of the SBC farm have finally gotten a look inside the window. And they recognize that they allowed some pigs to take over. And they look worse than the very farmers that were thrown out. Now, what do they do about it? That is where George Orwell's animal farm stops. You don't know the what next. And I think this convention and probably the next three conventions are very much the chapters Orwell didn't put at the end of Animal Farm. Can the animals reclaim the farm and run it? justly. And I, I think that remains to be seen. So so what's happening? We're we're getting a look at some pigs. That's what this report did. It gave us a look at some pigs who've been who've been wallowing in mud and we've all been pretending as if they were their snouts were clean and they're not. And and if the convention can muster the resolve to say we're done with these men and really as simple as what would Jesus do? How would Jesus treat people that have been harmed and left and abandoned and lied about and suppressed and oppressed? How would he treat them? If the convention can muster the resolve to live out the Bible they say is inerrant, it could be the greatest revival, I hate to use that word, but the greatest spiritual reform in the nation's largest Protestant denomination. But until the convention can speak honestly about itself and those who have led it down this path. I think that's sort of a fool's errand.
1: So in some ways, you see this as apocalyptic, like this is an awakening moment. And you're saying in some ways, like, this could be make or break, this could be break, or it could be a new denomination, like it could be a revival, I think you said. So it seems like maybe you see there's possibility for hope here. Where are you finding hope or with whom maybe even are you finding hope?
2: Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, again, because that would ask me to fall into uh, some of the same thing that I'm identifying as a problem. Do I, am I looking to people, men, mm-hmm. certain men, certain women? No, I think I think Southern Baptists have always said we are a people of the book, and now we get to ask the question: Are we? Are we really a people of the book? And and what book is it? The Art of War is that our book? Uh Because the conservative resurgence leaders, Paige Patterson, is on record saying the Art of War was his textbook for the conservative movement in the SBC. Is that the book we're looking at? Is it Machiavelli's The Prince? No. Are we a people that actually believe the Bible and will live out what it says? And that is a tension. Am I hopeful? Yeah, I'm hopeful because I never can get over the fact that I spent 13 years of my life as the pastor of people in little churches in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and North Texas, and Oklahoma, and the sweet little ladies, and and the faithful deacons, and the Sunday school teachers. Those folks are are good people, and they are not going to tolerate this for very long. And so if it means that the churches start saying we can't go through the normal funding mechanisms because we don't trust the executive committee or we think the structure is broken, and they start directly funding again. Maybe we see a return to some sort of societal mission program. I, I don't know. But I do know this. The people in the pews of Southern Baptist churches, the people that pay the bill, really believe that there's a lost world out there that needs the message of hope that only comes through Jesus, and and they want to make sure that The noise that would cloud and clutter the opportunity for people to hear the life-giving message of Jesus, that they eliminated as much as they can. And if their own structures and own institutions have gotten in the way of the gospel, you watch, Southern Baptists will tear down their own institutions for the sake of the gospel.
0: Thanks for taking some time and sharing some of your wisdom with us, uh, helping our listeners understand what's going on and what's really at stake.
1: Yeah, we really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank thank you, Jonathan. And thanks, Roxy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Bye-bye. Well, that was a fascinating discussion. And one of the things that I love about Ben is that he can kind of give you like a look behind the curtain, mm-hmm. a look at at some of the, the secrets uh, of what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. And speaking of secrets, Roxy, there's a little secret about you that- What? Not a lot of people know. Not a lot of people know, but oh, I no. think it's relevant to the discussion. All right. Now, people may know if they listen to this that you're a confirmed Episcopalian today. What they may not know is- you actually grew up Southern Baptist.
1: Uh, that's that's true. It was my hometown church. In fact, you've been to. I have my little hometown. I have Southern the, Baptist
0: Church, the the first Baptist church of Vona, Colorado, population one hundred, I believe, Vona, Colorado. You know, actually, the majority of Southern Baptist churches are. Less than two hundred and fifty people in weekly attendance, and your your church is usually, I think, around like forty fifty people on any given Sunday, yeah. which yeah. is sort of interesting if you think about it, because it means you had a more typical Southern Baptist experience <laughs> growing up than even I did, and I, I I'd love to hear what that was like.
1: <gasps> I suppose that's true. I mean,
0: what was it? What was that like, First Baptist Church, Vona?
1: I mean. I would have been hard pressed to tell you as a kid what it meant to be a Southern Baptist. Hmm. Like that just really didn't permeate to me, like the water of our church. Like I don't, wow. Ooh, there might've been a Baptist metaphor there if I'd gone with it. That was
0: good. That was good.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just, I just thought it was church. You know, I didn't realize what it meant that we were Southern Baptist. Nobody ever talked about it. As far as I know, it really, the only thing it really meant is that that's where our pastor came from. Who was always a man, so I guess it meant that too. But you know it was just run by people in town and it mm-hmm. people who'd you know, their families for generations had run not only the first Baptist Church of Bona, but the only. Church of only. Bona.
0: It so. doesn't have doesn't have quite the ring to it to call it the only Baptist church of Vona, Colorado, but I, I get what you're saying. Tell me, you the know, the
1: only church of Vona Colorado. Only.
0: It actually is the only church, isn't it? I don't yeah, remember the there being church another in church in Vona.
1: No, there's not.
0: You know, your mom, who is like super involved there, I think about her a lot. And I think about you, somebody who's obviously Sharon. like gifted in in so many ways and, and could serve a church like that. What what kind of opportunities were actually available to women in in your church when you were growing up?
1: Um, you know, I think probably what a lot of people would expect, uh the pastor's wife was really involved in like women's ministry and leading that kind of thing. Obviously, children's ministry, women led that and vacation Bible school. Uh my mom, who is also a kindergarten teacher, would sometimes do children's ministry, which why would you do that on Sundays when you do it all week is a question that I still have. But, you know, she was also until like five months ago, the accountant for the church. So, you know, the women kind of made the things happen, made it all run. But of course they couldn't have been like the
0: pastor. Right. So that's the question is like, what couldn't they do? I mean, I know in a lot of, in a lot of Baptist church, they don't, they won't ordain women, they're not going to let you be an elder or a deacon or right. a pastor or you know it's basically they they'll they'll let you do things with other women or with children, and that's sort of it. I don't know is that was that basically yeah. what it was like,
1: yeah, you know as a kid, I didn't necessarily realize that, but i I never imagined as a kid that a pastor could be a woman. Which uh, I've talked about on this podcast before was somewhat formative for me as, as someone who I think, honestly, if I had been born a man would have become a pastor. Just mm-hmm. because that's like something I aspired to and really loved as a kid. I just didn't know that I could. Um, so in my head, I was like, I'll be a missionary. I will <laughs> in some other way be, you know. Yeah, that's a, that's a common, common course for women like me in Southern Baptist circles to become yeah, a foreign I, missionary where you apparently can teach the gospel.
0: I always joke, I say in most southern baptist churches the men are the leaders but the women run the place. Like they're the ones that keep mm-hmm. it going. Like if right. in any southern baptist church if the women go on strike the place is out of business that day that yes. minute that's just the way that it works. <laughs> and so like if you grew up in a place like that and even you just said like you know, oh, you know, you felt this like draw to, toward ministry. And maybe even if you had grown up in a different way, you would have gone a, a different route. I mean, like now you're, you're not Southern Baptist. Is that, is that the thing that made you leave or was there something else?
1: Um, not really. I just, I found a church in college that had better music basically <laughs> than the Baptist.
0: <laughs> okay. All right, better than those but, hymnals. You know. I can see that. <laughs> believable, believable.
1: Uh, you know, so I just went to like a non-denom. And, you know, I, I stayed evangelical for a while. Like I didn't become Episcopalian until much later. So I, I, I can't really say that, you know, my burgeoning feminism is what led me out of the Southern Baptist Church. What about you? I mean, why do you think that you left? You, you stayed for a long time. You were like, when I first met you, you were still working for and preaching at a Southern Baptist Church.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I went to a I went to a Baptist, not technically a Southern Baptist college. I went to Liberty University. I went to a Southern Baptist um seminary and then went on to a United Methodist seminary. But you're right. I was I was serving part-time at my dad's church. It's a Southern Baptist church in Georgia. And in 2012, I was publicly outed. So that really shifted some things because, you know, first of all, I'll say I loved that church. You know, it, it, people mm-hmm. tell you these horror stories of these religiously abusive fundamentalist churches. I love that church. I love the kids in the preschool. I loved the, the, the youth group. I loved the volunteers. I loved all of the gray-haired women who coordinated potlucks. I loved it. Mm-hmm. But being outed meant I had a choice. I could either go back into the closet or I could leave that was it. There was no like, there was no like option C. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the truth is, is that the only people uh, who have fewer opportunities available to them in Southern Baptist churches than women are gay people. I mean, you know, like (laughs) at least gay people who are out of the closet, right. (laughs) Gay people are out of the closet. I'm not talking about your music minister, whisper, whisper, right? Like, (laughs) because trust me, there are plenty of gay people in Southern Baptist churches. But if you are an out of the closet gay person, you are not going to be teaching children. You're not going to be doing women's ministry. You're not going to be, you're probably not going to be greeting people at the door. You're done. You're out. Goodbye. And so that was, that was the choice I was given. So, you know, I don't know if I'd been in a different denomination at that time, would I still be in it? I'm not sure, but, but I knew that, that It wasn't a place that I could stay. So I had to leave.
1: You're out. I'm out. Um, It strikes me, you know, we grew up with this institution that we really loved and lost for Mm -hmm. our own personal reasons. But now it feels like it's being lost in a different kind of way. Like we're watching it implode. So I'm wondering for you how it's felt watching this happen to a denomination that, and a church that, you know, holds a place in your heart. Like you don't have like the anger toward it that one might expect. And so in some ways you still love it.
0: Yeah. Well, I will always be Southern Baptist by heritage. It's like, Mm. you know, the rings of a tree, you know, it's always going to be a part of me. And so to... To hate that, to get angry about that feels like it would be like getting angry about some part of me. And even more than just like being a part of me, as you already mentioned, like I have so many friends who attend Southern Mm -hmm. Baptist churches, who pastor Southern Baptist churches who teach at Southern Baptist colleges and seminaries and who work for Southern Baptist agencies. And these are good people. And, and they're oftentimes doing good work with like good motivations. They're not hateful people. They don't hate me. They're not mean to me. They're not, they're not out there crusading Mm -hmm. against things that that I believe in, but we have really different views about things. And so it's, I think of the Southern Baptist convention, like any religious institution I know of, it is something that has problems and it has lots and lots of those problems. And, you know, you can, uh, you can focus on those things and get mad about those things and take it kind of a, a burn it down perspective. And a lot of people, friends and peers have taken that perspective, but but when you do that, it's like, how do you make sense of all of the people who have been or are being changed for the better mm. in these churches, people who found freedom from addictions, people who have found community and purpose and mission and Jesus. And so I think for me, such a, a, a part of my adult journey, when I kind of reflect back on or look at evangelicalism itself or the Southern Baptist Convention is like, how do I hold the good and the bad Intention so that I'm honest and sober minded about the failures, but I'm also honest and sober minded about the good things that that happen. I don't in those know how you do that. Too.
1: I honestly do don't mean? know how you do that, Jonathan. I mean, I watched this fall as like the Southern Baptist trolls came after you because, and your dad a little bit because you preached a sermon and. You know, your dad said, this is a good sermon my son preached. And I watched them come after you and say, like, you know, a gay man can't preach a good sermon. Like, this is, you know, the, the, that's like antithetical to the Bible and the gospel. And I don't know how, you know, you watched the, you went through some trauma through that. Your dad did. It was a difficult time. And these were people in some ways that your dad cares about. And so I, how are you holding attention of good and bad? And how are you continuing to love a denomination that at least right now there's like not a place for you in it or an acceptance of you in it, or even a sense that you can actually be a Christian preaching the gospel?
0: Yeah, it's hard. Um, And sometimes like you hold those things in tension and they're just like it's a tension. And so I think when I say like holding it in tension means to talk about the bad things and to not bright side it, like that situation was awful. Uh, I did not particularly love it. My dad's like a conservative guy. I mean, this is not somebody right. who's like out there, like blessing gay unions. And we have to work through that. It's tough. We, we have tough conversations and, that's, you know, I think that's just part of what it means to be family and to love each other when you, when you have such a different viewpoint on really, really important things that are a part of who you are. But I both am vehemently opposed to the evil bits and the disgusting bits of the SBC. But I also look at the people who were nasty on Twitter, and I know the stories of, you know, I talk about these gray-haired women who showed up for the potlucks. And if you see some of the DMs that I've gotten from people who are saying the opposite things, they're expressing love and kindness, even if they don't have like fully, even if they don't fully understand me or what I'm about, they're, they're people who are kind and they're doing the best they can with the knowledge that they have. Uh I'm in a right. I'm in an amazing a life-giving church. Our church. Yeah, our church, which is awesome. And so part of the work for me has been healing in the church that I'm in. And the more that I mm-hmm. heal the church that I'm in, you know, it's like so many people out there have like progressive amnesia. It's like they they wake up one day and realize like they understand all these things. They know better, they do better. And so now they look back with judgment on people who think the way that they thought like 30 seconds ago. So, you know, I, I look <laughs> right. back and go, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of ignorance in there. And I also held a sure. lot of that ignorance in me for, for so many years. And so I want to both call it ignorance and also not create like a streamlined narrative that says like, this is just, you know, one big, terrible institution and there's nothing good about it.
1: So you're not burning it down, but you're also not in it anymore
0: true. And I think for people like you, maybe you can even share a little bit about this. I mean, your parents, they still Sunday mornings, where are they? They're still, they're still at only Baptist church. They're still at first. Where else
1: are they going to go? It's the only one.
0: (laughs) They still go there. And uh, you know, I know, I don't know how much you feel comfortable sharing about this, but you guys have different views on things, different politics, different theologies. How do you do that with your parents? How do you avoid that like streamlined narrative, even in your relationship with your parents who who are kind of a microcosm in some ways of of a church like that?
1: Most of my parents and my disagreements aren't theological. They're usually more political. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I think that my parents really, really love mm-hmm. people well. So I respect that a lot. And and I respect the work of the Only Baptist Church of Vona because yeah. Like it's a, it's a, it's a stable pillar of the community that continues to keep the community healthy and flourishing. And I can really respect that, but I, you know, it, it depends on the day for me too, whether I would just like wash my hands of it, you know, or whether I want to keep like caring enough to make a podcast <laughs> talking about the Southern Baptist convention, you know, Mm-hmm. Because in some ways, both of us have found ourselves in a place where even though we're not part of it anymore, we are still part of a mechanism in a universe that has some accountability for the Southern Baptists. Like we are media people. We are Mm -hmm. journalists and writers that are regularly still calling the SBC or any of these evangelical institutions to count. And... If I didn't care at all, I wouldn't keep doing that. You know, I'd go report Mm -hmm. on something else.
0: You know, it it makes me think too that like it's so easy to hate an institution because it's so big and faceless. Mm -hmm. But if you can boil it down, so if we can not talk about the SBC, if we can talk about First Baptist Vona, and we can talk Mm -hmm. about the place where your parents go, and we talk about a place, Mm -hmm. can we? Can we both accept? how good and beautiful and helpful and necessary that is. And also accept the fact that if you walked in there and you wanted to preach a sermon, they would say, no, thank you. And if I wanted to come in there and be a member, they would say, no, thank you. And to say, there's something Mm -hmm. about that, that I can't abide, that I think is really not, not good. And also to, 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 to affirm all of the not goodness of those things without letting go of the other pieces. It's like that's the hard, that's the hard thing for me. But it's the thing that I guess I'm mm-hmm. trying to do when it comes to the SBC.
1: Will you be praying for the convention next week?
0: You know, I hadn't, th- I hadn't, thought, about, I hadn't thought about that. That's actually a very <laughs> good question. I don't know that I would be praying for the convention as an institution, but I I do pray a lot Mm -hmm. for the people of the convention. I think about Mm -hmm. my dad. You know, my dad has wept, wept after reading this report. And to to have friends of his uh, be revealed to be people he didn't know they were, Um, Mm -hmm. to see, I think, an institution that he's given his entire life to and he's, you know, 69 years old. He's given the majority of his life to this institution and to see it disappoint him at such a deep level. I, I hurt for people like that, who mm-hmm. are good people trying to do good work, who've given their life to this thing, and now they're, their hearts are broken. I, I pray for the survivors. Uh, mm-hmm. I cannot imagine what it has been like, what it has felt like for those people year after year after year to say something is wrong and to be disbelieved and to finally have gotten their day in court, if you will. And now what? Now will right. anything be done? Who knows? Uh, so I, I pray, I think, for, for Southern Baptists but I don't know that yeah. I'll be praying for the Southern Baptist Convention.
1: Save by the City is a religion news service production. The producer is Jay Woodward and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Elizabeth Joy Windham.
0: Chaz Russo put together our look and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music.
1: And thank you so much, Jonathan, for joining us this week.
0: Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Roxy. Does this mean I have to give up my seat? Is Caitlyn coming back? (laughs) Yes, she is. I'll be back. I'll be back, Caitlin. We know you'll be back. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for
1: listening.